Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 27. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Glenn. How are you today? Hi, Christina, and greetings and welcome to everyone to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Woolman. I will be your co-host and medical guide as we travel through the healthcare galaxy today, looking for ways toward optimal health. How is your health today, Christina? Oh, getting balanced. How's that? <laughs> that's an excellent, and that's an excellent word. Oh, yes, it's I like, like that. We're always sort of finding that that balance in life, aren't we, between all our work and our play and wellness and yes, that's why we need you on this show all the time, Glenn. You keep reminding us what we have to do to keep that balance. There's a lot. There's a lot, but it needs to become um, a lifestyle. It can't be, it has to be all the time and it has to be easy. It has to be easy. Yeah. yeah. It has to be just, it has to be just consciousness. It's not necessarily oh, yeah. easy all the time, but if, if you're trying to say, oh, I have to go work out now is not the workout that you should be doing. <laughs> there you go. I have to breathe now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, part of the, part of this show is about educating people as to healthcare professionals and medicine itself, and, uh, different opportunities for people, and that's going to be like today. So I just want to give you a sense of what I do in medical school. I get accepted to medical school, and the first two years of medical school is science, basic science training, and basic sciences are basic medical sciences. So we learn anatomy learn physiology, how things move. We learn biochemistry, how the body uh, works in metabolism and gets energy for us from the foods we eat. Histology about tissues, pathophysiology, how illness happens. Mm. All of the sciences for the first two years. In the second two years of medical school, which is a four-year program, you start to go to the wards and the floors and you start rotating through the different specialties mm -hmm. so that you learn about all of them and then you decide uh, which one is the one that you really want to be in. Obstetrics, medicine, pediatrics, surgery, specialties in surgery, all of these different things. So we as a third year medical student, having just finished our sciences uh, and knowing everything now, after two years, go up to the wards uh, in the hospitals. And in each ward, there's always a nurse's station where all of the nurses are hanging out yeah. and, and doing things. Not, they're not just hanging out. They're, they're working. There's a lot of things happening. It's a beehive. Uh, but as a medical student, in, the, in that very first moment, you have one of two choices that you have to make that will affect potentially the rest of your career in medicine. The nurses believe that they know more than we do as medical students. So there are those of us that say there's no way and they have a hard time for the rest of their lives in <laughs> medicine. But then there is the group of people, the group of medical students that learn that nurses do know more and will save your life and make your life easy, especially as a medical student and then as an intern and a resident. 
So it's really uh, essential to honor nurses, and that's what we're doing today. Most of the time, we've talked with other people about their professions and things like that, uh, and we love that. But today is sort of an honoring for me because nurses are such an important part of all of medicine. They don't get to be in the, in the spotlight too often, even though they're the main light. So today, uh, I'm interviewing, we are interviewing, and I'm introducing you to one of my favorite all-time nurses who has so many other things that she does, and we're going to get into that today. So I'd like to say hello right now to my friend, my colleague, Jan Ingram. Hello, Jan. Hi, Glenn. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Christina. Hello, Jan. Thank you so much for honoring us here on YHTV. And thank you for having me and allowing me to honor nurses because they're an amazing breed. And we're going to learn that today. Jan, as the medical guide, I usually like to uh, give our viewing audience uh, a potential path. And knowing you, there's no way we'll stay on the path, but I'm going to at least announce one anyway. We'll first try and look a little bit about your life and why and how and what made you become a healer. Then we'll get into some of the different things you've done to become the essence of what you are today. And we'll talk about the nursing profession as an opportunity for young people and older people to uh, look into that and look at many aspects of that. And then we'll talk about a little about what you're doing more today in nursing and where you've come to. How does that sound? Sounds great. I'm in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's, let's start right away with uh, feeling you're one of the few people that actually chose uh, to go into the healing arts before you existed in this lifetime. I think it really did begin as a very young child. My father was chronically ill with a very rare neuromuscular disease called stiff man syndrome. So I grew up watching a lot of very tragic and difficult things and a lot of overcoming. But when I was 18, I, at a psychic fair, ran into a gentleman, Dr. Green, who introduced me to alternative healing, took me under his wing as a mentor, and that's where my true healing arts as a practitioner journey began. First, as a licensed massage therapist, and then it just unfolded into yoga teacher, qigong teacher, hypnotherapist, and then not until I was 28, I got on the path to becoming an RN. Wow. And then there's even more after that. I started as a massage therapist because I was hit by an 18-wheel semi and fell out of a car at 60 miles an hour. And by experiencing that, it really gave me relief. So I had to really overcome a lot of physical challenge. And massage and yoga were my first tools. Actually, yoga kept me from being a paraplegic, I think, because I was very protected by all that work and practice of yoga. But the massage became because of I felt what it felt like to receive it. And then I knew that was a beautiful gift that I could give someone because, frankly, I'd rather have massage than food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can say the same. Mm -hmm. so, so that's what opened that door for me. And um, for me, every piece that I've learned as a practitioner, it's been almost my own life research and my own healing journey, healing from the inside out. 
And you can only take someone as far as you go yourself. So unfortunately and fortunately, I've been my own little lab over here. I was born on a gurney moving and I have not stopped. And I am built and run like a hummingbird. So that's my basic essence in nature is really fast. And so both uh, yoga and Qigong and Tai Chi have given me the gift of balance and how to really dial it back. I'm more interested in balance in motion. I'm not a static girl. So yoga gave me a practice of concentration, breath, strength, endurance, really um, as we say in Tai Chi, that Jung Ding Ne Guan, dropping into the center, but being very physical with it. And Tai Chi and Qigong gave me that fluidity, that softness, that uh, balance to my very quick and sharp and move, boot, zip, zap, zoop. And the Tai Chi and the Qigong gave me that ability to just become more fluid, to become more mindful in my motion instead of just zipping around and knocking into things. It gave me balance and softness and a whole nother set of uh, ability to not just for myself, but then for others to share those tools. So then you moved on to becoming a physical trainer. What did you learn in that area? Well, again, because if I've been injured, I was hit by another truck 10 years after the semi thing. Um, I was asked from a physician to help run a back rehab program. And I used to sell inversion equipment and teach back exercises. So I was hired to help run uh, and train people after back surgeries and help them um, physical training, but really with a rehab um, intention. And so again, using myself as a laboratory, if anybody looked at me today, they would have no idea that I have had chronic pain or have been through anything because of the gifts of yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, and all these other exercises. And so it helped me move into the medical model and start to take these skills and gifts into the medical model. My father grew up um, with his disease process with self-hypnosis. So I grew up around it. He'd go to the dentist. He'd never use any Novocaine, anything. He, I, I was exposed to self-hypnosis very early on at the age of 16. I really started practicing it. But then I found that just by learning a set of skills, it was very helpful. And what I've done is become more of a proficient and I specialize in medical hypnosis. And I take people literally through virtual surgeries and medical procedures and those kinds of things that help to get through systems, just to get through, um, you know, something that's coming up. So I'm not doing it for really late weight loss or things like that, but for medical procedures and, and medical conditions. Nursing was the last thing on my wish list because I'm a singer and a dancer and I like the artsy side of life. And yet on my 28th birthday in meditating in the desert, I've got this strong inner calling to go to nursing school. And I thought for sure you have the wrong number. <laughs> Art, dance and music and things like that. And not really a big fan of the sciences. But what it was is my journey into discipline. And it really truly was the right calling. And when I think back of Florence Nightingale and, and her calling, um, she said God called her to nursing and she started the first nursing school and um, the Lady of the Lamp, the first night shifts. And I really feel that same, you know, quality with her that I felt called to it. And so I buckled down and did all the sciences and all the left brain 
stuff. And I'm really glad I did. It was tough because it was a, a discipline and a structure that I wasn't really used to. Mm. I used to be very free and fluid and and all of a sudden I was very restricted and very focused and it was really good for me. <laughs> okay, so now we have you as a registered nurse and I want to use this opportunity for our viewers uh, who may have children or they themselves are, are considering different professions. So you went through a number of specialties in nursing, as many nurses do. And I'd like to, again, uh, have an opportunity to ask you about some of the different places you worked in uh, the field of nursing. And you started out in medical surgical nursing. Is that correct? I did. And um, I did a year there. And then lo and behold, it seems like every specialty area, something would happen, which would change my path. Got in that second car accident by that truck, and it took me out of floor nursing. But what happened is I had three months off while I was rehabbing myself. I learned um, birth center nursing, and they said, you would fit in great in the birth center. So I studied, and I worked really hard. And when I was finished rehabbing my own back once again, I entered into the birthing center, and I became a labor and delivery, a newborn nurse, and a postpartum nurse, all under one umbrella. And I did that for eight years. Oh, it was actually, my it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Oh my gosh. So, so talk about really getting hit by a truck. Literally twice. Literally twice in your life. I mean, so massive, massive changes for you. Yeah. Like I said, I have been my own research lab and I really think that, um, I've been working for probably 10 years on a little book called A Whisper, A Roar, and A Two-by-Four. I have really learned by the two-by-four more than I'd like to say. Now, at this stage, I've learned I can hear the whisper. Back yeah. then, it seemed like I used to get the really big lessons or corrections or gifts. I call them gifts wrapped in sandpaper because every time I've had something like that, it's taken me to another level of my own development and what I have can give my gifts on this planet. I feel like we're all given gifts and I want to use mine up by the time I get off this earth bus. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, it's what a journey that you've taken, but it's almost like you've lived three or four lives in this one so far and you still have more to go. I, I hope so from your mouth to God's ears, but yes. yeah. And, and the truth is, um, I got out of, uh, during the time in, in the birthing, I ended mm. up in a, right before that, in a C-section, uh, I got insight into that because I had a tubal pregnancy and had to have that surgery. So my friends always make a joke when I was going to be a pain center nurse, I got hit by a truck. When I was in the birth center, I had to have this surgery. They said, Jan, whatever you do, don't go into intensive care nursing. <laughs> so I've gotten out of all clinical nursing, and now I do community outreach through parish nursing, which is an amazing, amazing um, part of nursing and out in the community. Ooh, lovely. So, so, yeah, so you're staying away from the hospitals now. Yeah, I go in. I'm in a lot of meetings. I'm on a lot of committees. I'm part of a team, and I help to uh, create structures and committees that serve the hospital but I don't work in the clinical setting anymore. I work in the community. I manage the parish nursing community outreach program for Cottage Health System here in Santa Barbara. And I have nurses that are in homeless shelters, 
working with mentally ill clients, seniors at risk, and we put on all kinds of heart fairs, cancer fairs, senior fairs. So now I'm happily serving humanity in a in a community uh, container instead of the hospital. Oh, how magnificent. So you're back to creating again. And all those skills that I've learned all along the way, all the integrative medicine skills, all of those now come together. So it all, there was a method to the madness. At each journey, I wasn't sure. I just kept going. And mm. now I see how they all fit together like a beautiful little uh, woven tapestry. Mm, mm. And, and are, you, are you still teaching? Like, do you still teach uh, yoga and Tai Chi? Well, in fact, last week I got uh, invited up to this, the nursing school and I taught a Qigong class for the brand new nurses. There were 29 nurses on the, the college campus and we were out there just doing a little Tai Chi and Qigong. And I was trying to give them some skills to get through nursing school mm. because it's a tough road. And there's a sad saying, but it can be true that nurses eat their young. And in nursing school, that I've seen it, I've experienced it. So what I wanted to do is to give these students uh, some encouragement and to say, when that stress goes up, mm-hmm. don't let that discourage you because it's just like a test. You just have to get through that because the real world is very different than nursing school. And they, the world needs these nurses. The average median age of a nurse now is about 46 years old. Whereas 20 years ago, it was 38 years old. Mm. So we are an aging population and we need new nurses. So mm-hmm. we need to support people mm-hmm. making that mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that magnificent? I have to tell you, since I was really young, my father also uh, had um, had been going through quite a journey himself when I was really young. He had a heart condition and he was like six months out of the year in the hospital. I know. And in those days, children weren't allowed in the hospitals um, unless they were like over 13 or over 16, except on weekends. Well, blessed be the nurses, I Mm. think, felt so bad that his, you know, the younger of his six children couldn't come to see him all week. So they kind of bent the rules for us because we were very well behaved and and, you know, we we're very quiet. And in those days, they shared the ward. So there would be like four men yeah. to a room. Yeah. And so you'd have to be extremely quiet, of course, not to disturb other people. And the nurses were so sweet to, to bend the rules for us so that we could go in during the weekdays. And as, as time went on, he always said to me, one of these days, you will be a nurse. You know, just because I would care for the men in the oh, other beds as well. Oh. I would climb up on their beds. Oh. I was like six years old, seven years old. I'd climb up and hug each one of them and sit on their beds and chat with the gentlemen and things like that. And he said, one of these days you will be a nurse. So deep down inside, I have to let you know, Jan, that there's a oh. part of me that so honors your profession. And oh, is so, you. you know, really my father so respected uh, the, the nurses that took care of him. <coughs> Excuse me. And as he said, all day he would see the doctor once or twice, but he always saw his nurses and he loved each one of them and and held you all in such high regard. Well, although I'm not in clinical nursing anymore, I work close with on different committees with some of these nurses and they have my deepest and profound respect because it is very tough. But what I've learned and questions I've interviewed and asked a lot of nurses 
it's so amazing. It's really, truly a calling to them. And I, I, especially on the floors, it's very long. Sometimes nurses can go hours and hours and hours and not get a break for eating. And people sometimes get impatient. Well, where's the nurse? Well, she's probably with three or four or five other patients and doing so with a joyful heart most of the time. It can be very stressful, but the nurses that are in the hospital are amazing. And even my nurses that work with the homeless, the mentally ill, I just, I think of them as little T's, little Mother Teresa's, because they do it with such, this, you know, knowledge about what healing is about on all levels, but with such compassion and integrity for those really suffering. And what it, another level is, cultural appropriateness because we're not all cut from the same cloth. And when you have people from different walks of life, it's important to really meet them where they are, who they are, and give in ways they can receive. So I just, I have the deepest love and, and you know, admiration, especially for the floor nurses. So I'm sure just through your adventures and journeys in that, that uh, what you share with the new nurses coming in as, you, as they say, studying is one thing, but being out in the world is a whole nother deal. It sure is. It sure is. Ooh, what a wealth of information that you bring to us all. Do you have, um, uh, uh, for someone who's interested in becoming a nurse, what, how would they approach that? Well, talk to other nurses. And there's levels... Um, of education, there, there's entry points, I call them on-ramps. So uh, licensed vocational nursing, LVN, um, there's ADN programs, which I did. Uh, it's a two-year program through, you know, a city college. But there's a new um, movement towards magnet status in hospitals, Ooh. which really is a good thing. It raises the bar on the level of care. But what it is, is that it's going to make it so that close to 75% of the nurses now will need to have BSN. So it's always recommended that people, if they're thinking about going into nursing, that they think about going on that track, the BSN track. Mm, mm. Um, so, so with the the BSN track, so they've actually divided nursing into different groups. Is that my understanding? Well, there's licensed vocational nurses, and then there you say you're an RN, but you can have different levels of education a two-year degree, ADN, mm-hmm. a four-year degree, a bachelor's of science in nursing. They have master's of science in nursing, and they also have doctorates in science of nursing. Gosh. Well, they're all RNs, but there's different levels. And then there's advanced practice nurses, those that, which would be like a nurse practitioner or a clinical specialist or a nurse anesthesiologist, that you know, an anesthetist. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different levels. Or, you know, the, the floor nurses, a lot of them um, back in the day had diploma programs. So there are a lot of different, uh, as I call them, on-ramps to the profession. Mm-hmm. But the profession in itself is morphing. It's changing. The face of nursing and more leadership roles with the Affordable Health Care Act and the gaps in healthcare services it's an opportunity for nurses to take even a greater lead in some of those roles of helping to address those um, deficits in healthcare. And it's so wide range. Nurses are in schools, churches, 
um, mm-hmm. clinic settings. They're they're all over the place. Even in our Congress, woman is a, is a, is a nurse. Lois Katz mm-hmm. in our district, so she's a nurse. But there's when so many venues. That's, that's a great. It's uh, a just a great way of explaining all of the opportunities in nursing for everybody. Uh, and it is. It's great. There are so many things you can do. I'd like to ask you a few other things. In our integrative medicine program that we had. Yeah, that was wonderful. What what did what did that do for you in terms of your nursing uh, view? Anything different? Yeah, it made it it gave hope to my heart even more because it when we did that, it was so impressive at the St. Francis Hospital that was in Santa Barbara before. We created a program with Dr. Woolman as our lead. And we had perioperative um, surgery support where we could do, I could do the hypnosis and we could go into the OR, acupuncture. So what it did is it, sh- it helped open the paradigm and brought some of my early years in healing arts training into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and today, I think it was a, a we gave a lot of community um, education lectures. And so, A, it just made me happier than I could say. But also, I think it opened the eyes of the community and how important some of these other modalities can be in supporting what a whole person healing process is. Because with specialties, sometimes you know, if your only tool is a hammer, you see the whole world as a nail. And, and sometimes people get that tunnel vision and they forget there's a whole person that, you know, sometimes prayer for certain people is the best medicine they could have. Sometimes having their animal come in, that's the best medicine they could have. So, you know, I want to thank you, Dr. Woolman, for spearheading that and making, you know, being a pioneer in that in the in the hospital community. Because that really, you know, now they do touch for health in the hospital, even at Cottage and therapeutic touch, I should say. And a lot of things that opened, that program opened the doors for things and Gave me the chance to go uh, with my friend and colleague, Dana May. We went to Mayo Clinic and we presented on holistic topics. There's a holistic nurse association practice, a specialty. Mm. Um, It's amazing, really. It's all the opportunities nursing has. You know, you talk, Jan, about all the things that make you happy in nursing. But nursing is a very difficult profession in that you're dealing with life and death and tragedy. Can you share something with us that made you sad? And just as importantly, how you got through that so that you can continue to move forward and, and remain as a nurse rather than have it become so overwhelming. Maybe this is a, something that people can learn from you about. Well, no disrespect to any physicians because I have great respect, but oftentimes I've observed that there's a, um, sometimes a thought that death is the enemy. And death is not the enemy. It's part of the circle of life. And so so one thing that as a brand new nurse stood out, it was Christmas day and I was with a woman and, and, um, a physician, an old school physician, was trying to get a line in her neck, even though she had a peripheral line and she was supposed to go get to the, um, get an x-ray at at the lab. And Just just to butt in for a second for our viewers. We, uh, when Jan says a line, she's talking about an intravenous line so that we could have access to the internal systems. Yeah, thank you. But because he was delayed and he kept trying to get this thing and trying to get this thing, um, it postponed her getting there and she coded 
and died in the elevator. And that was Christmas. And so it gave me, it it was a heavy feeling for me because I was too new to be assertive like I would have been now and would have said something. Um, And, you know, all these years later, this is almost 24 years later, I still, that's still in the foreground. But the good news, the gift wrapped in sandpaper for me is, you know, Mm -hmm. death is not the enemy. And I've moved into helping and I've done a lot of kind of palliative care or um, I've helped and assisted in the death process on a lot of occasions and to say how we can create people to have a conscious, loving, comfortable death is now one of my, you know, goals and passions. And so that, that little rub, that, you know, thing that really saddened my heart and disturbed me has now become some fuel to say, um, how can I participate in creating more of a, a, a an awareness and, and how can we embrace, you know, that death isn't the enemy. So let's make it the best experience, like every other experience that it can be. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do like that very, very much because that, that's the belief I come from with the, in the healing arts is, is helping an individual become comfortable and, um, and trust, you yeah. know, trust that, that everything will be fine and, and creating that wonderful path for them and holding their hand through into what we call a rebirth, actually. And, you know, uh, a hospice patient once said to me, she said, honey, take care of all your business while you're alive because you don't want to be squirming when you die. And I love <laughs> And I love that. It was just, it makes me want to continue to challenge myself to grow, to see where I need to still do some inner work and to also assist others through the hypnosis and some of the other skills that, you know, you don't have to deny the diagnosis. Sometimes you can defy the verdict. And so how can I be a facilitator? Cause that's all uh, I am as a facilitator, but I got to go back to the floor nurses. I I'm amazed the day in and day out in the long hours and the, uh, the bridge between the patients and the physicians and their nurse expertise. Glenn, you said it as, as student um, physicians coming in. Um, I just, my hope is always that the team strengthens, that there's no us and them, there's no doctors, nurses, that it's a healthcare team and each role is crucial to the functioning of the whole. I just think if there was a hospital and no nurses, uh, you got a little problem. Speaking about that, Let's talk about, I want you to go back to med surge nursing, and I want you to think about, there's a lot of times you and I on the street when we're talking to people, and they tell us the story of how they were in the hospital, and uh, sometimes they met with Nurse Ratchet. Oh, yeah. And uh, I try to talk to them and give them a different viewpoint of their perception of Nurse Ratchet, what she may be doing because of budget cuts and over hours and something like that. But still, there is a process where people have to uh, negotiate with nurses and communicate with nurses. So if uh, can you give us some kind of uh, guidelines that you would like to see if a if a family member, a loved one is unhappy with some of the care they seem to be getting, maybe from one nurse during a certain shift or something else, how do they uh, rectify the situation? How do they improve things for themselves or their loved one? What's the best way to communicate 
with the nursing team? Well, my goal in life is to always, before I jump to conclusions, which I do do, we all do, human, is to be curious. So if somebody's acting a certain way, I try to be curious why they're acting that way. With that said, it's important to get to, you know, begin with the end in mind. And so sometimes, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Certain people have certain personalities and some have fussy personalities, whether they're on vacation or at, at work. So um, if you're getting hitting a wall with somebody, then it's important to have the support because some people are conflict shy or they just don't know how to communicate very well. So as parish nurses, we kind of help our clients to be prepared when they go in, what questions to ask. But sometimes you do need to go around it. Now, if we can stay in our compassion, which is not always easy because that nurse is probably exhausted and has probably a, lot, a whole lot of backstory on her side. But the goal is you need to get the care that you need to get right then. And so sometimes maybe asking to talk to the supervisor or um, you know another staff nurse to, to kind of help get some objectivity in the mix. But whenever you go into an, a, an appointment with a physician or it's good to have your questions and things written down because mm. whenever we're under stress, the best days you can forget things and important things. So if you have it written down and, and if you can, back to our simple co communication classes, you know, speak in I language. Don't try to say you are not here, you are this, but to say, I'm really scared, I'm I, I'm. I'm confused. I need to know this. So, you know, if you stay in your heart, then sometimes you get the other person in their heart. But when you're stressed out, that's difficult. So you might need to get somebody else to help speak for you. Mm. Oh, that's a, that's a very, very good point. Uh, because, I mean, most people, if they're dealing with a loved one and the nurse and the doctor, they're usually pretty stressed out. Yeah, yeah. Right? Especially if there's someone who's really ill or, or um, <clears throat> like maybe about to transition, they're extremely stressed out. And yeah, one, one leads to the next. And, and I hear it so often where, oh, they didn't care and they didn't, you know, they weren't there for us. And, and you know, as you say, they, they might be a little fussy or they just want a little more attention at that time. But what I want to encourage everybody to do, I'm also a master trainer on the Alliance for Living and Dying Well. And what we do is the five wishes, advanced care directives. Ooh. Every person, whether you're sick or not, should take the time to fill that out. Should something happen, you want to know and be clear of who's speaking for you if you can't speak for yourself, what you want them to do or not do for you. And with the five wishes, you can say spiritually, emotionally, what those kinds of treatments that you want or don't want. You can say what kind of music you want if you do pass or you, it gets so detailed. So this is a gift you can give those that you love mm -hmm. is filling that out so that they're not under stress of, because of someone they love is sick or dying. But also the gift is they know what you want and they, it makes it easier for them to help execute if you can't speak for yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's something as a nurse and a lot of nurses, when you come into the hospital, that's one of the things they first ask you, do you have an advanced care directive filled out? And so we encourage everybody because look at how many times I've been hit by trucks and things. Things can happen anytime. We never know. And and how tell, tell our viewers how they can find those five wishes or the advanced directive. Well, you know, you can go online and get them, but also... It, in any community in the hospitals, they usually have them. 
but you can even just Google the uh, five wishes form or advanced care directives and it'll come up and you can order them online. And they, they don't have, you don't have to have a lawyer do that. All you have to do is fill it out, have it witnessed and sign, and it's a legal document. But here's the thing. Don't put it in a drawer. Give a copy to your physician. Give a copy to the person who will speak for you or your lawyer or all your family members. It's a tool to help start those conversations so that there's no surprises. And you might not always pick your husband or your children. Sometimes you want somebody else that's not so emotionally tied to it. So, you know, that's something that it takes time and you want to use that form as a as an opportunity to facilitate having those difficult conversations with your loved ones. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, um, I want to talk a little more about the outreach that you do now in parish nursing. Uh, we've talked about it a little already and we've alluded to it, but tell us a little about why you went from birthing, which is really fun and everything else, to parish nursing. What was the calling there? And then talk a little bit about the some of the outreach programs that parish nurses uh, oh, are involved in. Well, I was injured from the birth center. And because I'd been in two car accidents prior to that, um, I worked a 12-hour shift and put in a dysfunctional oxygen meter. And it just really hurt me. So I couldn't push on women five hours anymore or lift people that weighed twice as much as I did. So my chiropractor actually said, we're writing you out of this game. You're not going to give it up. And it was, again, gift wrapped in sandpaper. Um, a friend of mine approached me and said there was this parish nursing program. I interviewed and got hired. And I and it was really one of the best fits. That was in 1995. Let me just read the vision statement that we have for parish nursing, which I love. It's to empower men, women, and children to seek health in mind, body, and spirit by expanding their knowledge about whole person wellness, assisting to identify methods of disease prevention, and increasing access to health and community resources. So that's kind of what the program does. And how it does it is, let me show you my little graph. This is a graph that shows where we spend our time. And this part is with mental health clients of all my nurses, homeless population, low-income seniors, community health fairs and screenings, and then uniquely congregations. So we have nurses in all of those different areas providing services. And when someone's, what does a parish nurse do? I said, well, it depends on where you are. If you're working with the homeless and mentally ill population, that's very different than if you're a nurse in a church teaching, you know, education and prevention classes, checking glucose, finger sticks or blood pressures, going to the church potlucks and helping to teach the church how to help each other. So it really is a wide variety. Again, and then we put on community-wide screenings. Um, Every year, Project Healthy Neighbors, about 600 homeless community members come and get vaccinations. They can see a doctor. They get uh, flu shots, TB tests, pneumovax. We give them backpacks and new shoes. And it's a really wonderful process. We put on senior fairs and all things related to seniors, many, many flu clinics, heart health fairs. 
for those with um, very minimal or no insurance can get for $20, a full blood chemistry panel and a lot of education, cancer fairs and a lot of uh, services that for screenings that make it available to those that might not otherwise have that. And with my parish nurses, we literally go out into the field, out into the agricultural fields all over giving, you know, flu shots and providing classes. And so it's a really wonderful venue and, and we get to be the arms and the hands that reach deeper into the community. Jan, as a parish nurse, uh, is that in every hospital? Do all hospitals have a parish nursing program? I mean, assuming they have mm. nurses at the hospital. Is that something that's common or is that very unique? I think it's fairly unique. Um, I think there's five to 6,000 parish nurses, you know, nationally. Um, it started with Granger Westberg in um, the Chicago area. But now in California, there are several um, hospitals that do have those but many congregations have unofficially, um, they're not paid, but volunteer parish nurse programs. But we are really unique in Santa Barbara because we do a lot more than the average parish nursing program provides. And um, we continue to grow and refine. We are uh, funded by the St. Francis Foundation, mm -hmm. but we are part of Cottage Health System. St. Francis was the original hospital that closed and they took that uh, monies in needs to stay in the community. And so we're by, you know, grace and thank you, we're, we're able to still do that kind of outreach mission work. And I think of parish nursing as a ministry of presence. Um, they're not going to go in and do IVs and things like the Visiting Nurse Association, but they go in and they assess, um, they evaluate, and they help people find the resources internally and externally in the community that will help them meet their healthcare needs. What speaking of uh, that, in in the nursing profession, what do you see as the future? Well, everybody's wondering that, aren't we? This mm -hmm. Affordable Care Act and all the changes, <clears throat> government wise. Um, but I think it's an opportunity for nurses. There's a lot of fragmented parts of healthcare, and everybody's always seeking to improve things, but it's uncertain times. What will, you know, with Medicare reimbursement and the challenge on hospitals and on healthcare systems. So I feel personally, this is an opportunity for nurses to take all the wonderful gifts and skills and talents and education they have to maybe even fill, even on a newer level, some of those gaps. Uh, I feel there's many, um, conferences out there. There's so many different nursing specialties that, that the nurses have the opportunity to help address some of those and really be seen. I've even asked some of the nurses on our magnet journey committee. Um, and a lot of them still feel that they, they're not seen for what they really are. I, I was surprised that they feel that way as strongly and that they get, um, not as much respect in a way uh, from some physicians and things. Others feel really good and are really proud to be nurses, but all nurses I have met are really strong, really smart, and really compassionate people. So I think we're in a change time. You know, it's like nursing leaders are emerging more. The game's changing. So we'll all stay tuned to see what's going to happen with some of the new healthcare laws coming up. Mm. It's an exciting time. 
Yeah, yeah. and it's it's a it's an uncertain and exciting. Mm. But but going back to that ministry of presence, even if you don't have a lot of high tech, nurses bring the high touch. And if you even spend ten seconds really being with somebody, that can save you a half an hour of just busybodiness buzzing around because it really calms them. It makes it reassures patients and and um, you know. Personally, we got to all work on our wellness, right? And that's why I'm so thankful for what you guys do out there because that old prevention is an ounce, you know, an ounce of prevention. And um, many disease processes are by the choices we make every day, but culturally and habits that we all have, it's hard sometimes. So if we can encourage and create support systems for us all to make better choices, then that's going to reduce the dollars and the impact on the healthcare systems. Um, so I have a question with your with your parish nursing. The nurses, so is that separate? The nurses that work with you in that group, are they separate from the nurses that work in the hospitals and the system, out, the, the regular systems out there, if you could call it a regular system? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. And they're all at this point, cottage hospital employees. So they're all registered nurses under the cottage hospital umbrella, but we are more of the community outreach program. So they, they'll go into the hospital to support a client or to go visit a client, you know, that's in the hospital or having surgery or a medical procedure or something, but they don't work in the hospital. Although a couple of my nurses do, um, one's uh, in the ER and she's incredible. And so she's an educator you know, we've had nurses that were lactation consultants. One worked in the wound care center. So each of my nurses brings a specialty area. One was an oncology nurse. So mm. all of us have different backgrounds that we bring to our team. But that's, um, you know, we're still a part of the, the hospital, but we are out in the community for the most part. Mm, I see. And then from what I've uh, learned from what you were saying, <clears throat> different nurses do look, uh, go to different areas. Of the outreach? Yeah. yeah, we have nurses that are placed in churches. They do X amount of hours a week in the churches. We have four homeless shelters, um, including one that's a family-based homeless shelter to help transitional housing. Mm. We have two nurses that work with what's called Path Points here in town with 130 mentally ill clients, and they're there to help do medication management, to help facilitate them to the certain appointments, to hopefully keep them balanced and from becoming part of the homeless population. We have nurses in, uh, you know, senior housing areas that they'll go there um, once a month at one and then every week at another to help um, be available to the clients and do education programs. Um, we just finished a, a kid's summer program looking at trying to address some of the um, overweight obesity issues mm -hmm. with teens, giving them some more skills on um, safety issues. It was a really great summer program. Um, one of my nurses that is an ER nurse just did that, Kathy. And we have all kinds of different programs that are always sometimes overlapping the nurses together. And often they're only, they're like their own little CEOs of their particular piece of the pie. That's great. Well, this is very exciting, very exciting work. That I mean, what I hear is I love outreach. I love community service. So I, I think that's another part. And then I love nurses. So you know, it's sort of all such a big collaborative effort. I do. I, on. I'm, well, you know, just so you know, another uh, thing, if anybody wants to know more about nursing, there was a, a program called Nurse TV, much like this. It's an internet TV. And 
they actually did one on me and my nurses years ago, about a few years ago called um, Nurses for the Needy. And it's on nursetv.com. So yes, they did one on us, but there's also so many faces of different kinds of nursing. If you're ever interested, just go to that site and they're just little mini movies about different interesting things that such variety as a nurse, what you can do. So everybody doesn't have to work in the hospital. You could be a traveling nurse or you could be, you know, nurses have been on battlefields. Nurses are, have been so many different roles. So it's a really wonderful profession if you feel that kind of calling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jan, what, um, yes, it is. And you exemplify it so well. And, and, you know, I think back as you're speaking so many of the nurses that I have worked with starting in medical school and through internships and residency and uh, in the emergency departments and hospitals, all of them have just been pretty much what you said. They're intelligent, they're compassionate, they're organized, they're disciplined, you know, and they also have other lives. And so they bring a, a full process to the table. I'd like to ask you if there are any myths about nurses from the lay public that you hear a lot that you would like to uh, address at this point? Well, there's a few old ones that they used to say nurses were so unhealthy that they didn't take care of themselves. And maybe that was true at one time or that nurses were codependent and that's why they're taking care of everybody else. But I beg to differ because I know, uh, you know, for myself and for many of my colleagues, that can be true at times. But also, there are a lot of my nurses, one is out morning early surfing, and I'm always singing and dancing and doing gardening. And a lot of them have other lives, as you say, that balance that other interests that, you know, whether it's art or music or their animals or their friends, that they're whole people. They're not just the, the face that you see when you go into the hospital. They, a lot of them travel, and even some of my nurses and many in the hospital go on the medical missions to other countries and you know they're they're integrated whole people the ones that aren't i would like to just encourage them more um to find those things that would help them be more balanced that will feed them remember the old put your own oxygen mask on first i love so, that <laughs> and i'm hoping the myth that nurses eat their own will change too that especially those nurses in nursing school that would find it in their consciousness and in their heart to, if somebody's having a hard time, don't penalize them and shame them, support them, pull out their strengths. This is a person who's called to do a very difficult job. So you want to support everything in them to be able to do that, especially when you look at the medium age of our profession is getting up into that late 40s we need more people coming in. That's true. I, I've been involved so many times where uh, we had nursing shortages and we were looking at other countries mm. and bringing nurses in from other countries who happen to be excellent nurses also. But uh, it would be good to support, uh, well, nurses everywhere. I agree. Mm. 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 No, and we, you know, And and to just know that nurses and physicians are only part, although nursing is probably the biggest part of the healthcare system in that level, number-wise, like 3 million members of the ANA, but um, that all the other, what what it takes, it takes a village. When you think about a hospital, think about those housekeepers. 
Think about all those administrative assistant people and the employee health nurses and the nursing educators, all those people behind the scenes that really the pharmacy, it takes a very skillfully coordinated team to execute healthcare in a community. Mm-hmm. Now, we've, we've spoken about that in different episodes, uh, especially episodes uh, where I've interviewed, uh, for example, Dr. David Tufankian. Uh, as an emergency department doctor, and and we realize how important housekeeping is to wow. everything in the hospital. It's essential. So mm-hmm. so all of all of the people that that dedicate themselves, you know, in a way, if they're a a person that's cooking the food at the hospital, in a way, yeah. they're sort of in healthcare also. And we we as people that work in the hospital and and our links to the community at the same time uh, understand that and value that. Chan, for each uh, of our guests, we always like to ask for a special health tip that uh, only you have come up with through your journey, and your journey is so amazing (laughs) that I think we could probably have – a whole show on Jan's health tips. Uh-huh. Avoid trucks and semis. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do what one. I do. Don't do what I do. Do not attempt this at home. No. <laughs> well, so is there, is there something you could share with us? Well, I think basically to, to first of all, explore and find out what you love the most, what feeds you the most. And whatever that is, whether it's singing or dancing or hiking or being with friends, to do more of that. The clock is ticking. And so we, we need to feed ourselves and to really, really embrace that. And also kindness. Kindness is so easy and it changes people's Ooh. brain chemistry. It changes your physiology. And when you, when you act kind to somebody else, that gives them a gift. But doesn't it feel good when somebody just does a simple kind act without any agenda in return? And I think the biggest thing for me is, and my really truest, deepest prayer is thank you. And just to be mindful of every day to say thank you for something, whether it's just getting up and you're here or for the, even the simplest things. When I looked at Dr. Emoto's work, when he did the water therapy experience where they said all this negative things to the water and froze it and took pictures. And then they said things like, I love you. And, the, and then literally the crystals formed these shapes. And the most beautiful one of all was thank you. And so I'm saying thank you looks good on everybody. (laughs) Yes. Gratitude. Lots of gratitude and compassion. Love that. And laughing. Oh, yes. We like that one here, don't we, Glenn? (laughs) We do. Actually, we like that. Jan, is there anything? We've covered a lot of aspects, and, of course, we can cover so much more. Is there anything that uh, we didn't cover that you had in mind that you would like to mention at this time before we uh, kind of close off for this week? Well, just, you know, for anybody out there that knows a nurse, just, you know, send them an email and just say thank you for what you do because a lot of times they don't get thanked. Every now and then they do. Some of the front runners do, but they don't always, you know, they work these long, hard hours and, and they are really great champions. And, you know, I'm just very touched and honored that you would invite me to represent that population. But there's so many amazing men, which is about 7%, and women out there in the nursing profession that 
really make that healthcare wheel keep going round and round. So I just appreciate all that you guys do to bring more awareness to, you know, all these different topics and today, especially for the face of nursing. So thank you very much, both of you. It's a beautiful face that you bring. You know, Jan, I know that you love singing and, and I was wondered that what song would be your uh, exit song for today's show? What song would be my exit? Song? <laughs> yeah. Let's Closing see. the show. What would you? What would be your uh, your finale? Well, my finale would be. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, beautiful. See, we really have to go have a big party in Santa Barbara, Glenn. Yeah, come on up. Yep. Well, I would like to thank our special guest, uh, Jan Ingram, uh, representing all of nursing for her wisdom and expertise and sharing her journey with us. I would like to thank all of my healers and my teachers uh, that have uh, brought me to where I am today. And I look forward to spending another week next week uh, with Christina as we share another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. And until that time, I wish you all optimal health. Thank you, Jan. Blessings to y'all. Thank you so much, Jan, for honoring us here at YHTV. And we look forward to having you back. I'm in. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And of God course, bless. we'd like to invite everyone to join us live every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time, 1.30 Eastern Time, for this magical medical tour with uh, our wonderful co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. And of course, you can also join me on Wednesdays on Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. And uh, just, you know, it's very simple. Just visit us at yogahub.tv and you will find us there and any previous episodes as well. And just to give you a heads up, a lot of the episodes are being transferred into podcasts. So for when it, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you will be able to plug in and actually listen to our shows. You don't always just have to do them. Just listen to them while you're exercising or cooking. Just be careful when you're driving. That's all I say. You can also find Dr. Glenn Woolman at myyogahub.com forward slash G Woolman and on Twitter at Glenn Woolman. And of course, his own site, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath. And of course, there's more to come. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Until next time, namaste.